Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey, we're going to take a look at some of the history of the lumber industry in Michigan. Michigan at one time was the nation's leading lumber producer between 1840 to 1900. And so we're going to dig into some of that history today. So come along and join me. The Great Logging Era is perhaps one of the most famous periods of growth in the United States. Early American settlers viewed the forest as either a barrier to development or as a source of rapid wealth from the resource of trees. So trees early on in the settlement of even the eastern United States were looked at from either of these two perspectives. And as the forests of the east became depleted, logging companies began to move west into the Great Lakes area. From about 1840 to 1900, most of the Michigan forests were cut down for farms and to produce lumber for buildings, ships, and mines. Michigan was the nation's leading lumber producer between 1869 and 1900. Now, in the early days of logging, there were few roads. So logging companies built camps and brought in crews into specific locations where there was an abundance of trees. And most of the cutting was done in the winter when it was easier to move the logs to the water. So they would often take advantage of the snow and the ice to slide lumber along trails that they would build through the woods down to from higher elevations down to lower elevations to get them to the water and after the spring melt would happen they would float the logs down the river and across lakes to sawmills so sawmills were built all over michigan as settlers moved from the eastern side of the state to the western side of the state and the first sawmill up in the upper peninsula area was on the Menami River in 1832. And as the lumber arrived in that area, the logs were then sawed into board feet and loaded on ships and taken to market. In the beginning, just the pines, especially the white pine, was harvested. This is the eastern white pine. And it makes a very good lumber as it was easy to float. Most of the hardwood species were denser wood and they would sink in the rivers and lakes and become lost. So the pines were the preferred wood for this type of transport. Remember, in the early days, there were few roads and railroads during that time period. So the rivers were used as a source of travel and bringing the logs down to other locations where they could be sawn into board feet. So all of the transporting of the logs on land was done by human power or horsepower. Men with axes and long cross saws did the cutting of the wood, and horses and sometimes oxen were used to move lumber through the forest. It's really amazing when you look back at this as the amount of wood that was moved using these simple technologies. Now, one of the inventions that was created that made hauling logs out of the woods much easier and faster were things called the big wheels. Big wheels were large wheeled carts that made skidding the logs through the woods a lot faster. 
the logs were loaded on these carts and they had big wheels and they could overcome the smaller ruts and roots and things that got in the way of cleared trails through the woods. As years went on, railroads were used to transport logs and many special railroad lines were built to carry logs out of the forest to sawmills and to mines. In the Upper Peninsula, the smelters for copper and iron used a lot of hardwood for fuel. And the forests were one of the main reasons why many people came to Michigan because of the resources of that type of wood as well. So how much wood was cut during the logging era? Well, the exact figure will probably never be known, but by 1897, over 160 billion board feet was logged from Michigan's forest. Today, the forest has about 70 billion board feet of saw timber. If 160 billion board feet of logs were laid out in a pile, four feet high and eight feet wide, it would go around the world about 50 times, just to give you kind of a perspective on how much wood that actually is. Or it would go to the moon and back five times. So the value of all the harvested wood was greater than all the gold that California dug out of the earth during the gold rush. And consider what the landscape looked like after the logs were removed. The fields of these open cleared lands were filled with stumps and farmers would move in after the loggers to remove the stumps and begin planting crops. And if you can imagine that a lot of the farmland that you see today at one time was all forested in southwest Michigan and other parts of western Michigan, all over the state really, and a lot of those stumps were removed by hard work with horses and mules and oxen to clear it out in the farmland. And, and if you've ever done any digging in your own garden, you've always come across a root now and then. Just to imagine doing that to an entire field to clear the land so that you could plant. And that's what a lot of these early settlers did. They would also burn the wood and the stumps to try to clear it out. And it was just a tremendous amount of labor that went into clearing land for farmland that had once been forested. Now, the earliest lumbering that was done in Michigan was done by the French in order to build forts, fur trading posts, and missions that they were building in the forest. And the British and later the Americans used the Michigan hardwoods to build merchant and warships. Now, north of an imaginary line from Muskegon and Saginaw, if you were to draw a line across those two areas, the pine grew white, jack, and Norway, as, as well as many other conifers. And it was the white pine that allowed the heyday of the lumber industry. Many white pines were over 200 years old and 200 feet in height and five feet in diameter. All of these old growth white pine forests are essentially gone in Michigan, with the exception of the pines that are in Hartwick Pines State Park, which is a 9,672-acre state park just north of Grayling. And today they have one of the largest existing old-growth white pine forests that um, is about 49 or 50 acres of the old-growth pines that you can visit. And that's what gives Hartwick Pines State Park its name. 
And I'll put the link to that state park in the podcast description of this episode so that you can check it out. Maybe if going to do a road trip up north this summer, you might want to stop by Hartwick Pine State Park, bring the kids and show them some of the old growth white pines that are in that state park. And they've got a lot of examples of what the lumbering industry was. It's somewhat of an outdoor exhibit of the lumbering industry at that state park. So it's really an educational trip as well when you visit that one. In fact, between 1934 and 1935, the Civilian Conservation Corps sent a work crew up there, and they were located within the park, and they built two log structures to house the museum that is there today. So there's a museum to the logging industry that uh, is well worth the time visiting. And I plan to try to get up there later this summer and do a road trip and see Hartwick Pines State Park uh, because I've always wanted to see that lumbering museum up there. And Michigan's pines became important as the supply of trees in the Northwest began to be used up in New York and Vermont and the New England area. So by 1880, Michigan was producing as much lumber as the next three states combined. It was a major lumber producing state. Now the first area where many mills were built was Saginaw because it had six rivers that converge to form the Saginaw River and which empties into the Saginaw Bay and then Lake Huron. So that was an ideal spot for the early lumbering. And then the rivers of the Chippewa and the surrounding rivers were ones that played a big part in that logging industry. And they were able to float the logs down to the mills and then to the market. The first group of people to set up lumbering operations were from the New England area, especially Maine and New York. The forests in those states were almost entirely cut down, so the owners and experienced crews basically followed the work as they migrated west to Michigan. And many felt that the huge forest of Michigan would last for many, many years, And yet, within a 20-year period between about 1870 and 1890, most of the trees were cut. The first people to understand the immensity of the woods were the government surveyors, but their job was to get the information about the topography. The timber cruisers worked for the lumbermen and would select the best land available and reserve it at the land office for their employers. And much of the land sold during that time was for a dollar and a quarter an acre, So later under the Homestead Act in 1862, men were often hired to claim a plot of 160 acres and stay there on the land until the timber was cut to make it a homestead. So after these guys that were called timber cruisers found the best stands of pine, the crew would come in and build a camp, which consisted of a bunkhouse, a cook shanty, which had a dining room and a kitchen. And these were the most important parts of the camp. There was also a blacksmith and a carpenter, as well as a granary and barn for the animals. The camp store would have the basic supplies needed by the men, such as clothes and tobacco. These buildings were not very well built, and they were often meant to be temporary, to be moved when the trees were gone. Now, each camp typically had two foremen and about 70 to 75 men, and they had usually 20 teams of horses and seven yoke of oxen. The men came to the camp usually in the late fall or early winter, 
as logging was a cold weather job. The food was plentiful, if boring. The usual meal would be bread, potatoes, tea, beans, and pork. And the crew worked from about 4 a.m. until dusk, even eating the noon meal in the woods. So the horses and oxen, on the other hand, were very well treated, and they were very rarely overworked because they were considered to be instrumental to hauling all of that lumber out of the woods. Now, if you look through a lot of the historical archive photos of the lumbering period that are held by many of the museums, I think the Muskegon Library has some great photos on their website. There's just some amazing photographs of the logs stacked up with men standing on them and two horses, and they're pulling these things on sleds through the wood. And there's also pictures of the big wheel in use. And it was just a very fascinating time period in Michigan's history. The logs were far too long and big and heavy to take from the woods by dragging them. So the loggers would make ice-covered roads where the logs could be pulled by sleds. And the logs were often extremely big. And contests were held between rival camps to see which camp could stack a load the highest and pull the sled. The logs were taken to the banks of the river after that point, and then they were piled 20 to 30 feet high, awaiting the spring thaw. And then when the rivers melted, the logs were pushed into the swollen rivers and floated down to the mills. And at the mills, the logs were sorted in an area that was called a boon area. Now, each log had an identifying mark on the end of the log, and then these were sorted into the Boone area, and each company's logs were placed together. Now, the logs were often very difficult to handle because of their size. They were about 16 feet, and they also were in large quantities. So when the mill had to cut the wood into boards, it was dried and then put on ships heading to various areas. And much of the wood from Saginaw, for instance, went to the northeast, where it was used for building cities and homes. A lot of the older homes that you might find in the northeast United States were probably built from lumber from that period of time from northern Michigan. And the wood from the west side of the state was shipped to Chicago. And from there, it was sent by train to the Plain States to build homes, cities, and railroad tracks. So once again, if you find old homes that were built in the 1860s to the 1890s in the Chicago area or west of Chicago, those boards that were used in the construction of those homes came from Michigan and western Michigan to be exact. So as logging improved, the wood in Michigan was more quickly taken as the technology improved around the logging industry, especially with the introduction of the logging railroad in the 1850s. These small engines and their portable narrow gauge track made it possible to log farther away from the rivers. And these railroads could haul loads of logs no matter the weather. So they were able to haul logs in the summertime as well as the winter. And other improvements that sped up the production included the use of crosscut saws to fell the trees, which were much quicker than the axe, and the circular saw in the mills, and the big wheel, which I mentioned before, for logging in the summer months, was used to haul logs out of the forest. Now, many men during this time period made huge fortunes from the logging industry. These men were often called lumber barons, 
and Michigan had many lumber barons. There were also many other results of logging, including the growth of cities around mills, the quick spread of farming, the land was easier to clear, and the change in Michigan's environment after the trees were gone. Some of the examples of that would be the predisposition for Michigan to have forest fires after a lot of the logs were cleared. In fact, Michigan experienced some terrible forest fires in the late 1800s. The most famous fire was probably the Pestigo Fire in 1871, although most of that happened in the Wisconsin area. The same year, several large fires scorched 2 million acres in the Lower Peninsula around Manistee and Saginaw, and also in northeast Michigan and the Thumb. That year, Michigan's Agricultural College, now Michigan State University, was threatened by wildfire and saved by student firefighters. The Thumb Fire in 1881 burned most of that area, and then in 1908, another 2 million acres were burned, and many lives were lost in these fires, and a lot of forest as well, both young and old growth, at the same time was consumed by these fires. So when all of this logging happened, it created a whole new condition for forest fires that didn't previously exist. And as I briefly mentioned earlier, the mining industry created a large demand for the hardwood timber. Initially, the white pines were the wood of choice in demand, but as the mines in the Upper Peninsula were established and the minerals were discovered up there, the mining industry created this huge demand for the hardwood timber, and they used it for charcoal to smelt iron. And so the furnaces of the Upper Peninsula burned about 30 acres of hardwood timber each day. The early automobile industry used a lot of wood in its cars as well, as much as 250 board feet. So you see how the lumber was in higher demand as industry developed. And just to get an idea of how much 250 board feet was, that was an 8-foot log, 27 inches in diameter, for each car that came off the assembly line. So it's really no wonder that Ford Motor Company once owned over a half a million acres in the Upper Peninsula. Now, over the years, much folklore arose from the camps and the mills where the men worked, and these men that were in the woods for many months and sometimes only had Sundays off, they often made up songs and sang, and they also made up stories which they told around the campfires or songs that they sang when they worked. And the most famous story that came out of that era of Michigan's history is probably the Paul Bunyan and Babe, the Blue Ox story. And this story, as well as many others, were often based on real people, although exaggerated in the story retelling over the years. But for every success story, there was also failure or tragedy. Lumbering was a dangerous and risky work, and men who worked in these camps were often injured or killed. And not all investments in timbers ever paid off, and some men lost jobs as mills burned to the ground, and oftentimes structures burned by fire or forest fires were never rebuilt. So jobs were lost in that way as well. So looking back at the logging era in Michigan, it still holds today a bit of fascination and somewhat glamour in the retelling of that era. 
the millions and millions of board feet of Michigan lumber truly helped build this country. There's no doubt about it. And by the same token, that amount of trees will be never seen again, or at least not in several lifetimes in terms of the quantity of woods that were taken out of this state. In fact, by the year 1900, Michigan citizens started to worry about the future of the forest in Michigan, and they were concerned about the ways the forests were beginning to disappear all over the state. And this was the beginning of the conservation era in Michigan, because it was flanked with this great awareness and understanding that the forest resources were no longer going to last forever, and a shortage of wood and the loss of other forests became a major concern. So during this conservation period, many groups and agencies were formed. The U.S. Forest Service was organized in 1905, and the national forests were created between 1909 and 1938. The Michigan Forestry Commission was established in 1899, and the Michigan Department of Conservation, now the Department of Natural Resources, was formed in 1921. And the first state tree nursery was established at Higgins Lake in 1904. The first corporation to hire a forester was Cleveland Cliffs, who hired a man by the name of S.M. Higgins in 1909. And the conservation era lasted about 40 years, roughly, between 1900 to 1940. Nationally, there were many leaders driving this conservation movement, John Muir, who is well known for the John Muir Trail out in California. He was quite a conservationist. Another man by the name of Gifford Pinshot. And Pinshot wanted the federal government to get involved with the forest management. And he was interested in making sure that there was enough wood and other forest uses for the generations of Americans to come. Pinshot realized that he needed to manage forests for the benefit of society, and he began the Society of the American Foresters, which celebrated its 100th birthday in 2000. Muir wanted to keep special places from being changed by the people, and he was an important person in making the Yosemite National Park and the first national park in the world. Both men were friends of Teddy Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States, and Roosevelt pushed for a lot of new conservation laws. So if you ever wonder why Teddy Roosevelt is one of the four presidents that they decided to enshrine on Mount Rushmore, he was considered great in his time because of the conservation laws that he championed. And then in 1920 and 1930s, many landowners didn't have enough money to pay for their property taxes. So much of the land was abandoned and returned to the government. And then the government decided to form state and national forest parks and wildlife refuges, which were begun during this time, the 1920s and 1930s. Now, there were some Michigan counties that resisted forestry and the preservation of forests and the creation of public forests. But despite this... There are now six state forests in Michigan and three national forests, each with its own history. And Michigan has the second largest state forest system in the United States, about four million acres or roughly about a fifth of the Michigan forest today is in a state forest system. The national forests hold about 2.6 million acres. 
Now, during the 1930s, the United States was doing very poor economically. There was the Great Depression, and that era saw the federal government start the Civilian Conservation Corps, which were called the CCCers, and they worked on the new national and state forest lands, and they built and improved many national and state parks. And in 1933, the Michigan CCC was organized, and crews planted about a half a billion trees and fought hundreds of fires and built 7,000 miles of roads, and they improved streams, they stocked lakes with over 150 million fish, and they built 222 buildings and surveyed groundwater, conducted wildlife projects, and made the Sini Wildlife Refuge. And they put out a giant fire on Isle Royale in 1936. Isle Royale is a national park in the middle of Lake Superior. So during the time of the Michigan CCCs, they had roughly 50 camps and thousands of workers all over the state. And Michigan has also started forestry schools that began in the 1900s, including the forestry departments at the Michigan State University and the University of Michigan and the Michigan Technological University and the Wyman School of the Woods. And it was in this time period of the early 1900s that foresters learned a lot about the forests and wildlife and the land. And through their research and experience, they were able to develop the current forest management practices that are still used in the state today, as well as other parts of the country. So the era of the logging industry, the lumber industry, transitioned over into the era of forest and land management. But today you can still step back in time and see some of the early old growth white pines, as I mentioned before, at Hartwick Pines State Park. And those pines are said to be about 165 feet tall. And they say that as you walk down the trail, you're literally encased in this canopy of old growth trees towering above you. And you can see quite a distance into the forest because there's not much growing on the forest floor. And in the winter, especially, it makes for just a beautiful, picturesque sight. And today, many people still bring Christmas trees into their homes. And quite often, they are the eastern white pines that are lit up for the holiday season. Much smaller than these that are found in the state park. But it is... Uh, still an industry in Michigan by itself. And the eastern white pine is Michigan state tree, and there's a lot of reasons behind that based on the lumber industry, which is probably another story in itself for another episode in the future. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the lumbering industry and that history of lumber production that impacted the state and the economy in those early pioneer years of the late 1800s in the state of Michigan. And Michigan became a producer of wood that impacted the growth of the entire United States for several decades during that time period. So I find that just a very fascinating history. And if you get a chance, take some time and go visit Hartwick Pines. I have watched a few videos on trips there from other people, and I want to go see some of the exhibits in the museum myself because it just seems very fascinating. And it uh, looks like it would be a fascinating educational experience to see all of those artifacts that they have in the museum there. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a review and a rating on whatever app that you are using and share this podcast episode with others. Tell your friends about it out there. The more listeners I can reach, the more people learn about this wonderful history in Southwest Michigan and our state. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And hey, I wanted to let you guys know that I will be involved in an event where you can come see me at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum. And I'll be doing a presentation on July 29th. The tickets are on sale for that online right now. And I'll put the links to that in the description of this episode. And I'll be in that event with Dave Eddy, who's been on a guest on my show before, as well as Jim Jackson, who's also been a guest on my show. And we're going to be talking about history of Oak Hill Cemetery. So it'll be a lot of fun. We're going to be sharing a lot of incredible stories that we have found independently ourselves and making uh, it a fun and exciting event for everybody who comes. So pick up your tickets there. All the ticket proceeds go to support the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, which I am a volunteer at. And I spend a lot of time trying to create that as a center of tourism and education for our community here in Southwest Michigan. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.